einfach sagen, der Titel ist gespielt, das ist klar für mich. Es ist sehr schwer zu verdauen, zu akzeptieren in dieser Situation. Und noch einmal über diese Regel. Diese Regel ist so lächerlich, es ist der größte Skandal in der Fußballgeschichte für mich. Wer hat diese Regel erfunden? And welcome to episode 278 of the Yellow Boy I'm your host, Stefan Butzko. <laughs> <laughs> My dog's already pissed off. <laughs> you hear laughing uh, the one and only Mr. <laughs> Lars Pollmann. Hello, Lars. Yes, dogs do make me laugh, yeah. Um, also here, Matthias Zug. Once again, hello, Matthias. That was, that was pretty awesome, especially given that the listeners don't know what happened five seconds before when we first tried to record this. So <laughs> that was kind of awesome. And it, it's in keeping with the motto of today's podcast, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Um, so to um, calmly state the facts before we dive into what happened on the weekend, um, Borussia Dortmund lost one point in the table to Bayern Munich. Um, this is basically what happened. So... Um, But the issue is how it happened, and uh, the very fact that Dortmund could be above Bayern Munich in the table currently, had they not completely embarrassed themselves uh, in the Revier Derby. Um, Lars, I don't know where to begin if we talk about this match, because there's just so many things to talk about. So I will just um, lean back now and, and let you pick and choose um, which aspect you want to start with in, in, in this game and how it all developed into a, a yeah, very surprising 4-2 loss. Or not surprising, maybe. I would say it was surprising, not necessarily that Dortmund imploded uh, on themselves. Against the bottom dweller, Which, which yeah. <laughs> tends to happen uh, a few times this season anyway, especially in the second half of the season. I think the surprising part was Schalke's level of competency which you know was adequate i mean they, they weren't <laughs> terrible which most of us if not hoped for then we probably assumed they'd be um i mean i for for once i thought this was going to be a relatively clear-cut revere derby in dortmund's favor just going by how awful schalke are these days but i guess the 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 cup game character of Derbys kind of uh, got uh, to their heads and in a positive way for Schalke. Uh, yeah, I think it's really tough to just pinpoint one area of concern when when talking about that Dortmund performance or lack thereof. Uh, I mean, you could talk about Favre's overly conservative decisions in terms of personnel because once again he started with Delaney. Uh, and Abdou Diallo in a game where everybody and their mother could expect Dortmund to have about 70% possession, uh, to, to put it mildly. Uh, that is not a winning strategy and it hasn't been for weeks. I don't understand why he keeps sticking to it, but I mean, uh, personnel only goes so far in, uh, explaining this level of ineptitude from Dortmund. So I also struggle to kind of find our way into the discussion. So maybe I can also lean back and let Matthias have a crack at it. <laughs> I don't know if that's a wise it's, idea, but no, sure. Oh, no, yeah. Matthias. Here we go. <clears throat> <laughs> um, no, uh, it's, it's really hard to... I find it hard to judge the match just because 
it was so odd. It was, uh, as we all know, I'm really old. Um, and I've seen quite a few Rivia Dabis in my life. And a lot of weird Dortmund matches in my life. But this ranks pretty high up there for weird matches because it, it was, it was basically a pretty boring walk in the park for Dortmund. And then that brilliant moment from between Sancho and Götze and, and everybody, I think, including myself went, okay, here we go. That's, that's what we needed. That'll get going. And then, of course, the, the handball thing happened. And then it just seemed to just all go to hell in a handbasket from there on. It's like everything that was good just went bad. And it went from bad to worse to, oh, my God, make it stop. Please make it stop. Um, and, yeah, it was it was odd. Um, I know I ranted a lot about Svaya, the referee, who, in my opinion, is one of the worst referees in the Bundesliga. And I'm still perplexed by the fact that someone who was at least in, implicated in max, match fixing uh, is allowed to be a referee in the Bundesliga. But he didn't cause the loss. He didn't cause rash challenges from Royce and Wolf. Um, you can argue that the handball was harsh, let's say. Um, but he certainly didn't help matters, especially because it seemed at times like Schalke could do almost what they wanted physically and the repercussions wouldn't be quite as bad. So, but it's not down to him. It's down to the fact that Dortmund completely lost the plot and Favre was not able with his team uh, to somehow circle the wagons and figure it out. And and I think it goes back to a discussion we've had over the last few weeks and months even as far as with the current constellation of players at his disposal if Favre is the right type of manager for Dortmund a team that would have 70 to 80 percent possession and not quite if that fits his philosophy of how he wants a match to play out um and and I'm struggling to figure that out I'm struggling to figure out whether or not he's going to be given another year I think I personally think he will be given a transfer period in a window uh, in, in another season uh, to see if if things improve in that regard, given how good the first half of the season overall was. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a head scratcher. Uh, it was perplexing and it really pissed me off. <laughs> Yeah, un understandably so. I, I think, uh, a grievance for, for this game, uh, and, and how this team managed to lose against this Schalke side, um, are, are quite justified. Lars, was there any real highlight from Dortmund apart the two goals they scored? Um, anything you would point out that they actually did well throughout the game? No. I mean, that, <laughs> isn't that, isn't that the biggest or, or the, the, the greatest indictment? The, the, the problem for me was that even the goal came pretty much out of nowhere because obviously Dortmund had a lot of comfortable possession in the first uh, 10 or 12 minutes or whatever it was, but there was absolutely no sense of urgency in their play whatsoever and they didn't get any deep penetration in the final third. So uh, the goal came from a singular moment of brilliance and other than that, I mean, as long as it was 11 on 11, uh, Dortmund relied almost entirely 
on Sancho doing something with the ball or a few uh, short combinations when Götze dropped uh, away from his striker position. So there was very little interplay and combinations up front. Uh, the the build-up was as laborious as, as it has been over the last few weeks and really months. I mean, the second half of the season hasn't been really great to watch outside of a few uh, decent performances from Dortmund. So I, I didn't feel like they had a great game that was su suddenly uh, or that suddenly came to a halt when that that uh, contested I guess uh, handball decision came down I mean un until then they hadn't really impressed me at all even uh, when they scored what was a brilliant goal from uh, Götze after that fantastic Sancho assist real quick Lars what do you make of this um, uh, handball decision um You just said contested. Um, do you think with the review of the um, video assistant referee, um, do you think this is uh, something that, that needs to be granted? I mean, first of all, who the hell knows anymore uh, with, with hand handball <laughs> decisions and how those rules are applied in, in, in real life? Yeah, even the dog is getting agitated right now. Um, I mean, I don't have a clue really what, referees are supposed to be looking at these days uh, I think this decision was somewhat in keeping with uh, how handball rules have been applied over the last few weeks and months in the Bundesliga so while I, I, I wouldn't <laughs> want this to be a handball penalty just because uh, you know the, the 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 defender what what's he supposed to do I mean he can't hold his balance without his arm uh away from him at least a little bit and it wasn't shoulder height well Lucien Favre called it a, a, a scandal yeah I mean that's the first time Lucien Favre actually had an opinion in front of a TV camera um, <laughs> which is fair enough uh, and obviously it's not the first time actually that he got really agitated about a, a handball call against Weigel recalling the Hertha win where Weigel also gave away uh, a penalty that I guess two years ago not, wouldn't have been called but as I said Right now, it seems those uh, decisions will be given, so I guess that's okay. I don't want this to be a penalty, but uh, as long as it's as long as there's a level of consistency that that makes it understandable for the the viewer and and the players themselves, I guess we have to live with the handball uh, rule or law being you know difficult to apply. And the only explanation or the only uh, way out of this that I can see is you know just saying every ball that touches an arm, a hand, uh, whatever it is, is a foul or an, an infraction and then maybe it's only an indirect free kick everywhere but the box or whatever but there's something needs to be done and rather quickly because obviously nobody really has a clue what's going on these days yeah i mean the the problem is if you just say every every um uh, ball that touches the hand is is a penalty i think um that would I think Arsene wenger once said well then i will teach my players to aim for the arms and the hands so um Uh, the the question of intention obviously makes sense from from some point of view but uh, maybe you know maybe the, the the penalty in itself is just such too harsh so maybe an indirect free kick uh could could alleviate that a little bit i don't know it's a very interesting discussion to have but i don't want to ponder up on uh too long because uh, it in my view did not really decide the game i mean um i've i've read And heard from a lot of people that it's sort of, um, 
changed um, Dortmund's, um, you know, mental state of the game or whatever, and they seemed a little bit deflated. But at the same time, if we think back to the reverse fixture where Dortmund won two to one, and Schalke also had a very, um, I don't know if it was a clear penalty or not. Uh, I think uh, Marco Royce stepped on. Uh, I mean, Harit's stupid foot there, uh, <laughs> which was sort of in a way, I don't know if that's a clear penalty either, but Dortmund obviously recovered from that. So, Matthias, um, any explanation why um, it, it continued like it continued? Um, do we have to talk first and foremost about set-piece defending or um, do we uh, have to talk first about the... Uh, I think Stefan Oersfeld calls it a scandal too, um, that Jaden Sancho got hit by a lighter in the face and obviously the, um, the equalizer happened, uh, during that period where he was receiving treatment. No, I think we obviously have to acknowledge the truth in that Hoop Stevens is a significantly better tactical coach than Domenico Tedesco. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, um, I think, Set piece defending. Do we really need to talk about that again? That's that's an obvious issue. It's a clear issue. How that issue hasn't been more clearly addressed is completely beyond me. I mean, it's it's been clearly shown. It's not like Dortmund don't have money. Just hire a special teams coach, for lack of a better term. You know, I mean, in the NFL, if your punt coverage sucks, you get a new special teams coach in. It's the same way here. This is your punt coverage. This is the most basic play in that sense. In football, it's a set piece. You the, pretty much know what's going to happen from the, Schalke. The, the kicker wrote that 45% of Dortmund's goals they conceded came via set piece, five via free kick, five via corner, four penalties, three throw-ins, and one direct free kick. Yeah, I mean, the one direct... Okay, f direct free kicks and penalties <laughs> I will always take out of that just because, I mean, it's annoying that the direct free kick and a penalty happened both in this I match. Mean, I, don't, and, I don't necessarily... And it was one hell of a free kick. I wouldn't even kick, count throw-ins uh, necessarily, but... Uh, no, those are weird. Ten goals at least. I don't I don't know which uh, statistic they used. Uh, you know, some, some count... Uh, a couple of indirect free kicks more and others don't so um but yeah 10 10 goals is is already a lot you know what Schalke is going to do they have this giant guy called Salif Sani and odds are they're going to try to aim for his head and odds <laughs> are he's going to try to put it in the back of the net um and it was what was so sad was everybody could see it coming it's like you had that sense oh great it's a corner so that's a goal and Salif Sani is not a good defender in my opinion uh but he's basically Naldo in that regards I mean that's that's what Naldo did let's hoof something big up there and the big man can nod it in and against Dortmund in the second half of the season it's been embarrassing it's been embarrassing um and i i i'm not a set piece coach uh none of us are so it's not like we can sit there and criticize what exactly they have to do in what situation but it has to be addressed i mean come on you can't be consistently that bad at it unless of course lucien favre and the powers that be just say Screw it. We don't care about set-piece defending. But knowing the conservative nature of Lucien Favre, I somehow doubt that he goes, oh, I don't care about set-piece defending. 
No, I, I don't think that's the issue. And I, I think they, they've tried to adjust and, and try to make adjustments, but only that they were not fruitful. But, um, uh, nevertheless, uh, Roman Bürki took a leaf out of Lucien Favre's book and, uh, <laughs> sounded very, very resigned or resignated, <laughs> rather. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, and, and he said in the mix zone, um, asked about the dozen set piece goals that they conceded now. Um, uh, I'm not getting worked up about that anymore. We players brought more than enough arguments to the table that something needs to be changed and also included the coaching staff. Um, Lars, what do you make of such a statement right after the game where, uh, emotions are still very raw? Uh, I don't care either way. I mean, I'm I'm ha I'm happy for every player to speak his mind as long as he's respectful of those he's talking about. And I mean, uh, if in his mind and Roman Bürki has turned into a leader of this football club, uh, if in his mind there's something that needs to be said and and needs to be out there, uh, I mean, obviously he's talked to or that the team has talked to coaching staff. More than once, I would assume, and and this had must. Yeah, well, to to the extent that he feels like he has already given up. Yeah, a, I mean a, about the subject. Uh, if if that's the case, then I think he's very much in his right to uh, bring this to the attention of the public. Which, I mean, uh, you already cited Kicker's uh, stat report on Dortmund set piece. Uh, defending or lack thereof i mean uh <laughs> this is now in the open and something that everybody will will keep looking at and every time someone uh scores via set piece against dortmund uh, that adds a little bit of pressure on uh, the coaching staff to make some st uh, changes and and uh, do whatever it is the team wants them to do i don't know if they really want to go man oriented all the time or whatever it is but i mean i i don't i don't have an issue with him saying that as long as i said uh you know he's respectful of uh you know the coaching staff and and Favre, uh in particular just to jump in there i mean roman bürki has got to be so frustrated because he's probably have well he's definitely having the best season so far in a dortmund jersey And having those goals go past him when you can't really put the blame on him, he can't literally do everything, that's got to be incredibly frustrating for a keeper. Um, when you have matches where you ship a lot of goals and you can't blame the keeper for any of them. That's that, I mean, the level of frustration he must feel is like, what else can I do than my job really, really well? I can't mark people on top of it and, and the other things that are associated with it. So I think there's a little bit of frust, or there's a lot of frustration that comes out in that, uh, right after the match. And I think he is in, especially him <laughs> is very much entitled to that frustration. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I mean, what else can he do, really? Um, does any one of you think that there's anything he could have done about uh, either of these four goals? I mean, the first of all, it, it would be nice if Roman Bürki for once in his life in a Dortmund shirt would actually save a Bundesliga penalty. Because I think he's like 0 and 16 now, which is Cleveland Browns uh, 2016 territory, but not what a, what a Bundesliga <laughs> goalkeeper should show. So that would be nice, but obviously, uh, I mean, unless he gets one through his fingers or whatever, uh, penalties are never the goalkeeper's fault. And the only one that you know, I think 
he might have had a chance had if he you know had a, a fantastic day would would have been the free kick from Kalijuri just because of you know the distance uh, i think that was in the air quite a bit so if if he had an absolute belter of a day i think he might have gotten his fingertips to that and and made one of his uh, spectacular saves which we've seen so many of this season that you know any discussion talking about blame in terms of Roman Burki is absolutely misguided yeah exactly because there are at least 10 players and in the end just eight <laughs> that are, I think a little bit more to blame for for this entire game so um Matthias, do you want to talk about the red card situations or uh, is there anything else you want to cover uh, before we talk about this? Um, I, you know, uh, I mean, we'll talk about off the pitch stuff afterwards, but the, the red cards themselves, I mean, Marco Royce acknowledged it was a red card. It was. Um, if you if you go by it, uh, Marius Wolf definitely was um but i guess the the level of frustration that at least i felt uh was that it seemed a rather inconsistent level of harshness let's say uh as far as doling out uh cards by felix Zweier. I, i mean it was a little bit before that when burgstaller i mean tackled a guy for lack of a better term, and it it was free kick, but there was no card. Um, I mean, he could have probably uh, left the field of play sooner, and then obviously McKinney as well. So yeah, I think there's also a case to be made about Sebastian Rudi. Yeah, and and Suat co- Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt, and and that's I think at the end of the day, that's the greatest frustration that a lot of people have, uh, and I include myself in this. And I I wrote about this that yes, referees are human; they make mistakes. The only thing I want is consistency. If you are going to be harsh as far as bookings and red cards towards one team, you really need to do it towards both teams. It seemed massively inconsistent. Again, my opinion is Zvaya is a horrendous referee and should not be making money as a professional referee for many, many reasons. Um, but that, that, that's the frustration I have. It's in any sport. If you're going to be a bad ref on the day, fine, be a bad ref, but be a bad ref the whole time in the sense of you make bad calls for both teams or you're harsh on both teams. It seemed uh, incredibly inconsistent. Let's just leave it at that. And that was frustrating. But again, it's not what made or broke the game. But had he been more consistent one way or the other, the result may have been a little bit different. Uh, you know, maybe no Dortmund player gets sent off or maybe just as many Schalke gets players sent off and that changes the course of the game. But it is what it is. Uh, that wasn't, at the end of the day, the reason why Dortmund lost. All right, Lars, then I, I ask this to you. Um, why do you think um, Dortmund in this game, but also in other games, uh, <laughs> I think most prominently the uh, Bayern match, uh, but why does it happen so often that this Dortmund team uh, has this massive implosion? And uh, if you say that Lucien Favre is not the uh, guy to motivate this team or give them mental strength or stability or whatever, um, where are we supposed to point the finger? Uh, is it Sebastian Kehl or uh, even Matthias Sammer or what's going on last? Uh, I would very much actually contest the idea that there hasn't been an improvement in terms of you know mental toughness or whatever uh, I mean Dortmund are still 
far and away the comeback kings of the Bundesliga, having won, I think, half of the games that were behind it, which is a much better record than uh, Bayern and Leipzig, for example, can boast of this season and obviously much better than last season, which was, uh, you know, disastrous in that regard. So, I mean, the same team that comes uh, away with wins uh, that were unlikely after 80 minutes, uh, time and time again this season, And not only in the very good first half of the season, but also in games like Hertha or Wolfsburg in the second half of the season. Uh, I mean, that, that team showed mental toughness in, 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 in a good amount. Uh, so to me, it's, it's too easy to just say, well, they, they got walloped by Bayern and now this implosion against Schalke. Obviously, there's something wrong with the mentality of the team. I mean, that there might be, uh, I think, There are a, a number of players uh, playing out of uh, their p best position, which doesn't help. There are a number of players who don't have much experience at the absolute top level, which doesn't help. Not too many guys are in the best run of form uh, when the season enters crunch time, which isn't, you know... Uh, overly helpful but i think it's far too easy to just say well you know they don't they don't want it enough or they don't have the mentality or whatever it is and and in in terms of you know who's in charge of that i mean uh, i think i said before we hit record that lucien farfa is not the one who motivates this team and he wasn't brought in to do that i mean uh dortmund knew fairly well the kind of manager they got, but more importantly also the kind of person they got. And Favre is very much a reserved, somewhat conservative person, I would say, from afar, obviously. I don't know him personally. Um, someone who someone who doesn't, you know, give a rousing speech two minutes before halftime is over and everybody runs through a wall for him. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Uh, the motivational aspects have to come from within the squad, which is, you know, something we can perhaps lay some part of the blame on Marco Reus's shoes because, I mean, he had an absolute shocking game, first of all. He, he did nothing in the game and then he got sent off uh, out of a mix of frustration and having a bad day, I guess, just because he uh, his timing was off. But, you know, he's supposed to be the leader and, and of this team. And now against Bayern, he laid an absolute egg. And now against Schalke, he was even worse, arguably, because because he got him sent off, himself sent off and, and uh, suspended for two games. But outside of the team, you know, you mentioned Sebastian Kiel. I don't think anybody outside of that Dortmund bubble is really positive what exactly his role is, uh, because they haven't been particularly forthcoming with that. But I, I think we can assume that he's someone uh, that that stands in front of the team and, and reminds them of what's at stake at times. And uh, I mean, theoretically, I guess, Matthias Sammer is also someone who, as an external counselor, instilled some, some level of competitive edge uh, into the club in general. But the problem with him is that he doesn't really have any uh, direct contact with the team. But, you know, just generally speaking, I think it's far too easy to look away from actual football reasons for uh, what's happening and, and just looking at, you know, mentality and, and character. I think that's, that's uh, short-sighted. Yeah, I would totally agree with that, actually. Um, because um, I've... I've elaborated hard and long in, in the post Bayern podcast is that um, 
the, the lack of courage or whatever you want to call it is completely derived from the uh, tactical setup that was shown and I, I feel like last you in, in basically your very first remarks already alluded to uh, you know why is Delaney playing in, in, in midfield and why is Diallo the left back and, 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 and so on and so forth um, I, I, I think this team severely lacks the tactical measures and maybe even the automatism who knows um, to to really competently dissect the Schalke team that was maybe they were disciplined maybe they played tough but we all know that they are also very prone to errors if you actually push them and uh, apart from uh, that one moment of brilliance in the 14th minute I think it was uh, where Jane Sancho you know had this pass to Mario Götze there was just not much going on and uh, I feel like Dortmund's attempt to overload on the left side didn't really pan out a lot. Um, Jaden Sancho basically time and time again tried to win this game all by himself and instead of, um, you know, finding a pass, he, he tried to dribble through all these, uh, blue shaker players and it didn't really work out. And, um, this is to me maybe a, a, a bigger problem that we don't right now have, let's say, the tactical coherence to switch things up to make changes that you create different triangles on the field and then a different combination and sequences um, to effectively defeat a, a deep block of 5-3-2 I think it, it, it was um, so um, against Mainz in the first half Dortmund did well but then sort of collapsed uh, in, in Freiburg um, they created goals really well but it's It's a lack of consistency that to me is very alarming. And we've, uh, I mean, obviously it's always problematic for a top team to, to play against uh, these bottom dwellers. And when they just defend and nothing else, uh, it's never easy. Um, but I think with the potential and, and the um, amount of creativity to, you have on the field, I, I think there need to be a couple of more tactical measures that... Uh, that should help Dortmund defeat such a Schalke team because the the very fact that over 90 minutes and uh, let's say in, in 60 minutes where, where it was still 11 against 11 that Dortmund just created one shot on goal and uh, were lucky to score with that but uh, otherwise that there was just zero chances that is just um, frighteningly bad uh, and this to me speaks then really um, about the uh, overall development of of this team where it's going whether they're going um you know on a on on a better trajectory or or, or not right now it seems to be stagnating a little bit but there are so many factors within the season that might dictate why this, that is that it's really hard to say if if Lucien Favre is to blame or just you know other factors so i can't really put my finger on it but uh um it's It's still sad to see how, how little measures uh, this Dortmund team found uh, against a Schalke team that is really absolutely horrible and terrible. And uh, I think other Schalke fans uh, have even admitted that Schalke really played garbage on that day, but were just, uh, you know, had, had divine luck basically to score four goals from four shots. And uh, yeah, really, uh, it was more of a Dortmund implosion than anything else. So um, Matthias... 
what do you make of of Dortmund's real lack of of uh, creativity? And I think in the uh, in the Freiburg podcast on the last show we talked about how this top four of uh, containing of of Sancho, Guerrero, Götz and Reus should absolutely beat any opponent. Basically, that's that's deep sitting. But in in this game, we were proven entirely wrong because there was almost no creative momentum. So please explain that to me. Well, I'm glad you asked that, Stefan. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, th there are a couple of things. I mean, first of all, um, uh, when when you looked at the setup of Schalke, not quite compare it to um, Freiburg in the sense of Freiburg actually had some interest in participating in the match. Uh, Schalke really, really, really didn't. Uh, and as you alluded to, got very fortunate let's say uh, it reminded me of last season Schalke um, but that this was probably the best defensive discipline performance I've seen from Schalke over an incredibly long time I think part of it has to do with yes it was the derby I think it had to do with the fact that uh, sitting incredibly deep with almost everybody with an occasional press um, made life very, very difficult for Favre. Um, and there's a reason why in the second half of the season results have not been that good is because teams said, Hey, have the ball, Dortmund, have the ball of Lucien Favre, figure it out. They figured it out against Freiburg, who Christian Streich does play a little bit more adventurous. Occasionally he does like to play to win a match. Uh, whereas Schalke set up to try to not lose the match, which obviously worked, I guess, uh, in that, that regard. So it it was a combination of a lot of different factors. Uh, I didn't see, obviously none of us saw this result coming, especially after Dortmund took the lead. I thought now it would become even more comfortable. And it really was because Schalke didn't do anything for the match, even after going up 2-1, even going up 3-1. They just, the, the chances that then came were because Dortmund put everything forward and the fact that Schalke had two extra players on the pitch. I mean, uh, the I was, fact I was, that, that Dortmund yeah. scored on Schalke when Schalke had two men more in the field is already an indictment on, on, on Schalke themselves. That's just crazy. Well, I was just... I was glad that Mbolo scored a goal from open play because if if Dortmund would have lost 3-2, because at this point with the goal difference with Bayern, 3-2, 4-2, who gives a shit, um, you lose 3-2... Would have just been frustrating because all three goals were for three different set pieces. Um, and, and when Dortmund did score that second goal and it was 3-2, I started laughing. I'm like, Oh my God, please. I mean, if they would actually somehow manage a point out of this, that would be ridiculous, which they wouldn't have deserved, to be honest. Um, in a weird way, Schalke didn't deserve to win. It was very, it was an undeserved match. I wish they could just replay the whole damn thing, <laughs> pretend like it never happened. Yeah, yeah. I I actually expected more rants out of you, Matthias, uh, con concerning this result. Um, how did? Uh, hey, wait. It, we're not over. It's not over. It's, we've only been on recording for thirty five minutes. Uh, I know, but my question to you is, um, um, how did um the uh, next day's result in Nuremberg help you to get over the Revier Derby or make it make you even more mad? What was your uh, reaction to? to uh, Bayern's well, uh, failure um, to, to uh, win in Nuremberg. 
You know, I'm actually going to change that narrative. It wasn't Bayern's failure to win. It was Nuremberg's failure to win. <laughs> uh, because once again, was Nuremberg just not... They're not you mutually know, exclusive. <laughs> hey, you know how you just said uh, it would be nice if Buki could save a penalty? Wouldn't it be nice if Nuremberg could score one? Yes, yeah, seriously. Uh, they could have scored, I mean, against Schalke and Bayern. I mean, come on. Come on, please. I mean, you're never, you're Nunback. You're going to get relegated. This was your best chance to beat Bayern. Um, I, it was, this was kind of the uncomfortable match that I somehow thought Bayern would have against Dusseldorf. And I was totally wrong because Dusseldorf was already on the beach. Whereas Nunback is still playing for something because Stuttgart, Stuttgart, and of course Stuttgart won. And then Schalke won. It was just, ah! All the results went exactly the wrong way. It would have been the perfect um, weekend almost. Had I know. Won. <laughs> if, had they won, they would have been first. Schalke could be staring down both barrels of relegation. Um, but be that as it may, um, it was on the one hand, it was frustrating because, oh my God, what could have been? But at the same time, you look at it and go, it's two points. It's still all there. It is all left to play for. Um, yes, Dortmund still have to play against Bremen and they still have to play against, um, what's that team that's imploding right now at a higher rate than Dortmund? Oh yeah, the other Borussia, uh, Mönchengladbach. But Bayern also still have to play against Frankfurt who are also woeful right now, but Leipzig, you know, and, and I kind of, as a joke tweet put out there, what are you telling me? I have to root now for Nürnberg and Leipzig, which apparently I really have to root for Nürnberg and Leipzig. Um, so it's all, it's all, as crazy as it is, and despite what Lucien Favre said in the press conference, it's really all still there. It's not in Dortmund's hand. Dortmund obviously has to win out. Uh, Bayern has to slip up once. Um, and then Dortmund could win the title. They win out. Dortmund has to win out. Bayern slip up once. Boom. You won the title. Um, the whole discussions again where people say Dortmund doesn't deserve to win the title. Back to the discussion from a couple of weeks ago. If at the end of the season you're at top of the table, you deserve to win the league. You can argue individual matches whether or not somebody deserves to win or not. Yes, I, I agree. So, so Lars... Um Going by um, the result on on Sunday, and obviously Bayern just you know moving one point away from Dortmund. And uh, uh, what do you make of Lucien Favre's comments in the in the long term that he said basically uh, that the title race is over for Dortmund, that it's it's done, or what whatever. I, I I don't know how to translate it into English, but uh, I think we we all know what he meant that uh, Dortmund's uh, title charges is, is over and sealed now. Um, how how do you think um, the the environment around Lucien Favre will uh, uh, register that for uh, the coming weeks and, and overall as well? I mean, they shouldn't register it at all because it, it's completely pointless to make something out of an off-the-cuff remark uh, of, I guess... Uh, an emotional Lucien Favre, I guess that's what he looks like when he's emotional. Um, <laughs> I mean, who the F cares about someone talking about the, the title race 10 minutes after losing his first home Revier Derby 2-4 and losing two players and being all worked up over a handball penalty decision that he thought clearly was incorrect. I mean, uh, this doesn't... If this changes how you view... Lucien Favre, both as a coach and as a person, I'm sorry, you are an idiot. 
Uh, and uh, fair enough, I mean, there are a lot of idiots uh, in 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 football generally and talking about football and getting paid handsomely more handsomely than i am uh, sadly uh who, who already have made you know that the 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 comments that you know this is such a terrible picture of uh, this is so dumb and, and, and now they are not going to be champions because lucien Favre uh, 10 minutes after two four loss in revere derby said you know what i think it's over i mean The players don't think about this when they are next on the pitch against Bremen on Saturday evening, and so we shouldn't either. Yeah, fair, fair enough. But uh, obviously, uh, uh, Watzke and Sock as well, I think, uh, rebuked these comments when asked about it, uh, which which was obviously to expected. But um, yeah, I I find it very interesting because I I do think that these comments will remain in the collective conscience of of the people in the media that you just labeled idiots i i think it, it will come up again and and uh and maybe uh play, play a role in how lucien favre is is perceived in 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 the general public a little bit um Ma matthias what do you make of it is this something uh that would make matthias zamas head explode or uh do you think given who Lucien Favre is, we should just look past it and, and, and move on, basically. Um, I mean, Matthias Sama is probably a bad example because Matthias Sama <laughs> is that rare combination of uh, actually knowing a lot about the sport and being emotional. It seems like you have to be one or the other at times in the media. And Sama seems to combine both rather well. He's a very intelligent, articulate person uh, and knows the sport from many different aspects from player from coach to manager to executive you name it he's kind of done it um but as far as Favre I wasn't a big fan of the statement just because it's my combative nature uh kind of a until it's done it's not done until it's done uh and and kind of the jetzt erst recht as we would say in German now now back to the wall now we're really going to show him but that's a personality thing that's just a different type of person than I am or Jürgen Klopp is or Thomas Tuchel or Lars or Stefan or my kids it's just different personality the problem that you have or not problem what this does is it underlines kind of that I would call it false narrative or I don't know if it's a lazy narrative, but the false narrative, you know, uh, and, and that stereotype of picture of Favre as, uh, you know, the eccentric professor of the Switzerland and um, that he's, he's just not up for it with a big club where you need to, you know, pound the table. You're, you're it's this Westfalen, Ruhrgebiet, you know, um, Malochen, you know, working, you know, he's, he's more sartorial uh, or sartorial in, in his, his nature, a little more cerebral. And that's, that's okay. That's who he is. Like last said, it was just a few minutes afterward. He was still, he was angry. He was angry about everything that had transpired because uh, obviously he went into the match with a plan and that plan did not work for many reasons, not all of which were his fault. Obviously, he didn't tell Wolf and Royce to do suicidal challenges from behind or tell Zweier to give a penalty that also, in my opinion, shouldn't have been given. Um, so I, I would ignore that, the fact that 
Vatska came out with the statement that he made also makes sense because he was a little bit more distance in that moment and somebody had to kind of say that in that moment you know someone who's been at Dortmund for an incredibly long time which Vatska has been so I, I think a lot of people are going to overblow it to a point now if the players would have come out after the match or a day after the match and said, oh, yeah, it's all over and woe is me, then then that's a little bit more dangerous, uh, in my opinion. But that's not necessarily the picture that I got. The picture that I got, at least, was that everyone was pretty pissed off. And in my opinion, that is the exact reaction you should have. <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, overall we we will get a lot of reactions to that particular subject because uh, the the reactions to Favre's reaction were also pretty emotional in in, in several directions. So I'm uh, still interested in hearing from people if this is an absolute no go or whether we should uh, look look past it. Um, I I. Th- I personally, I I haven't made up my mind yet, but I I feel like uh it's 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 an unfortunate comment, but I can also understand where it's coming from at the same moment. Anyway, um, let's move on a little bit. Um, Marco Roy is now out for the next two games, and Marius Wolf for the next three games. Um, Lars, how will Lucien Favre and and this team deal with these two losses? Um, Marius Wolf obviously didn't cover himself in, in glory in the derby. Neither did Mario uh, Marco Marco Reus just from a footballing standpoint because um, over Dortmund's right side there was little to nothing happening, um, especially from from Marius Wolf. There was no momentum going forward, uh, but at the same time, I don't know if Lukas Piszczek will be ready to play in the remaining three games. Um, so what's the, what's the alternative here? Um, will we finally see a back three or, uh, even more improvisation? Uh, I mean, Favre wanted to, as, as, as I understand it, uh, you know, test the back three or, or use that option in the winter, uh, during the winter break, but, uh, basically all CBs bar, uh, Weigel and Toprak and Weigel isn't really a center back anyway, or wasn't at the time maybe, um, were unavailable. So that plan went by the wayside. I, I mean, it's three match days, uh, from the end of the season. I think given the conservative nature of all coaches and far for even more so than all coaches, I can't really see him make this major of a change, even though it might make sense with uh, Pulisic or even Brun Larsen. Uh, I think from an, from an athletic profile standpoint would make sense as, you know, wingbacks in that situation. So my, my assumption is that unless pitch check is ready to go, which I think is very much doubtful, at least for the Bremen game, uh, that Manuel Akanji is going to move to the right. Uh, side of the fence and then the, the I mean the last time he played at Bremen he also played as a fullback so it's not completely unknown territory yeah, and I mean he, he, he I think he, then what then it was a left back yeah, right he, but he did fairly well at left back I think he's athletic enough to cover cover on that position um, and I'm, there's just not many options uh, who else is going to play there I mean uh, the, the bigger question to me is uh, with Akanji on the right side of the fence, does Ömer Toprak slot in uh, at center half next to Weigel, uh, which, you know, is a partnership that severely lacks uh, speed, 
even though Toprak isn't quite as slow as people think, but you know, he's not Manuel Akanji. Uh, or does Diallo move into uh, the centre-back position with Marcel Schmelzer getting uh, a chance at, I guess, redemption in terms of, uh, or in, in Favre's eyes, because he has not been seen on the actual football field in months. I think the last time we noticed Marcel Schmelzer was when he got booked uh, after Vedat Ibišević threw the ball at Roman Burki's head for no reason. So... Um, I, I, well, there was a reason. No, there, there, <laughs> he was very there was an explanation. There was no reason. Um, I mean, <laughs> as for Royce, I think that's pretty clear cut. Uh, that's going to be Mario Götze moving to the 10 uh, with Paco Alcázar starting up front. Uh, even though that's also something Farfel doesn't seem too fond of uh, at this stage of the season. But I mean, there's there's really no viable alternative for these two matches and. I mean, Alcázar has sat on the bench enough for him to be able to play twice in a row, I guess. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Matthias, before we uh, completely move on to the Bremen game, um, which is looming, um, there were some very ugly banners uh, around this game and uh, neither side really covered itself in, in glory. Um, that was maybe... Apart from the game, the the ugliest scene or scenes of the game. Uh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, we'll start with uh, Schalke first and end on Dortmund. Uh, Schalke, a group of fans, had a banner, of course, where they kind of poked fun at the bombing of the Dortmund bus. Uh, this is something that. Um, as someone who's followed English football for a long time, you get this quote unquote banter at times from fans making fun of other fans because of tragedies. This isn't really something I've seen that much of in my life, uh, in Germany. It is not just unfortunate. It is disgusting, despicable and idiotic. I would hope that they would get bans. Uh, not to mention the person that, uh, th by throwing his lighter assaulted Jaden Sancho, a person should get banned and, uh, charges pressed against him for assault and then of course the homophobic uh terms slurs used by Dortmund fans towards Schalke fans that is absolutely not acceptable um I for the first time really I mean occasionally you get a troll but it was pretty pretty strong uh on Twitter even directed to myself I kind of said it jokingly I've never been called homosexual so many times in one day in my entire life um and but it's not it's not a joking matter uh it's sad that people feel like uh, to put other people down you have to call them a homosexual slur uh that is that is idiotic those people have no room in society they have no room uh in the Dortmund fan base they have no room on my twitter feed and they have no room in this podcast or listening to this podcast so if you're one of those who thinks it's okay to use homophobic slurs please stop listening uh you are not welcome uh that's just same with anybody who uses racist or any bigotry um Uh, that degrades people's nationality, race, gender, sexual orientation, religion, you name it. Uh, the, that, those kind of people are disgusting garbage. And uh, I think I've made my point very, very clear. Yes, you have. So uh, with all that being said, and I think Lars and I completely uh, <laughs> uh, 
support your statement, uh, we can move on to the Bremen game, which happens on uh, Saturday. Um, so Bremen lost 4-1 against Düsseldorf, and uh, according to a couple of Bremen fans, they, they feel like the air is out of, of this Bremen team after... Um, after two games against Bayern Munich, but I honestly don't know if uh, that just pertains to the match against Fortuna because uh, Danny Klassen said he is very much looking forward to the game against Dortmund. Um, Lars, do you, do you think that Dortmund um, are favorites going into this game or do you think that it will be a very even match considering how good Werder Bremen can be on their day, how close they had Bayern to a draw? Um, and obviously also uh, Florian Kohfeldt being a, a coach that has adjusted against Dortmund uh, throughout the season. I mean, uh, officially, if you like, I mean, betting markets and all and what have you will have Dortmund as fairly clear-cut favorites, but I mean, Dortmund and Bayern are pretty much favorites in every match they, they enter in that regard. So I think uh, on a deeper level, uh, this is going to be a very difficult game for Dortmund uh, just because Bremen always played Dortmund really hard uh, even when they weren't at their absolute best for a number of years uh, under you know Viktor Skripnik and Alexander Nuri uh, I mean uh, they, they still gave Dortmund often at least uh, a run for their money so uh, I expect much of the same in this game. Obviously, without Marco Reus, that's a huge loss. We've already talked about a, a backline that very well could have one player in his natural position, and and that one player would perhaps be Ömer Toprak. So I mean, I like him, but yeah, <laughs> or Marcel Spencer. Yeah, I mean, either way, it's going to be fairly likely at least someone who hasn't really played much at all in in 2019 or the entire season. So. Uh, in, in that regard also it's going to be difficult and, and you already mentioned Kofeld who uh, rightfully so I guess is considered you know among the, the brightest of young coaches in Germany and even if the results haven't always been there especially of late and I think that that 4-1 defeat at Düsseldorf was really kind of a humdinger for their European hopes as well uh, I think he's very much capable of getting his team in a in a mental but also a tactical place where they can be really dangerous for Dortmund and then I think also the the fact that this is a a Saturday evening game you know bright lights uh, even though it's uh, it's light out enough for the lights to be actually off but you know the metaphorical bright lights will be on this game with Dortmund uh, presumably needing to win to keep their title hopes alive because Bayern play uh, Hannover 96 at home. Uh, two hours earlier. I mean, uh, I do stranger, not stranger things have happened, but I think we can't hang too many of our hopes on <laughs> Thomas Doll uh, getting a result from uh, Munich. So, I mean, just there, there's going to be a big spotlight on this game and I think Bremen might use this as extra motivation after uh, narrowly missing out. Uh, I guess I didn't uh, watch the game, but in terms of how the end result came about, uh, narrowly missing out on making it to the cup final, this might be a spot of, you know, redemption for them. And also, I mean, 
the the couple of their players were were really quite angry with themselves, uh, including Nuri Shahin after the match at Düsseldorf and the the quintessence uh, of what they were saying was basically um we're not sure we are actually uh, good enough uh, for Europe uh, or European football which uh, they had uh, made out to be their target for the season before the campaign started which was really quite brave of them uh, so I think there's there's a lot of factors that play into Bremen really bringing their 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 A game to Dortmund or to to uh, uh, that game against Dortmund. So uh, favorites, I guess, but you know I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Dortmund drop two or even three points here. I don't even know if I would call Dortmund the favorites. I I really think it's a fifty fifty game at at this point. Uh, Knowing how how Dortmund usually perform, and uh, I, I I don't know, I I just don't see Dortmund as as crass favorites at, at the moment, and with with Dortmund's performance level going going into this game, unless uh, Bremen play again like they played uh, in in Düsseldorf, um, but I assume just like you that this will not be the case, um, Matthias. The um, omission of Marco Reus, the uh, two suspension ban. I think brings one Christian Pulisic back into the uh, limelight unless uh, Lucien Favre has other ideas and, and brings in Paco Alcacer. But um, do 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 you think this is a big chance for for Pulisic? And do do you think uh, we will see him or uh, what do you how how do you think Favre will uh, uh, tackle that problem of not having Royce in in the squad? Well, I think we'll see Pulisic at some point uh, during the match, depending on how it goes. I, I have this very nightmarish night. I mean, I can't describe it any other way than a nightmare thought that we're going to see Mamou uh, Dahoud <laughs> in the number ten spot. Yeah, don't think that. Um, to be honest, I, I no. I mean, I hope not. I, I would expect kind of what we talked about or what what Las said. You know, Paco up top, guts are right behind him. Uh, Sancho and Guerrero then on the wings. That's not really the area of concern for me with Dortmund. Uh, the concern is obviously the back line, which is to say patchwork is probably a massive understatement. And just the thought of Max Kruse and Rashica running at it and uh, moving towards it at any speed has me concerned. Um, not really concerned about Nuri Shahin. He's not exactly a speed demon. Um, I think the, the one thing that does play into Dortmund's favor is, um, that, uh, Bremen do have a bit of a hothead in defense. Um, yeah, I think it's, is it Vekovic? If I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of agree with you that it's a pretty even match. I don't really know what to expect because of the two sides of Dortmund, especially given the injuries that they have defensively. And then that Bremen, I don't know where they are mentally. Uh, where's their head? Have they given up on the season? Um, if so, then they're going to, you know, play like they've given up on the season. Uh, Max Kruse is definitely capable of mailing it in. Um, so I, I'll I'll be honest. I have no idea how this match could go. It's that's probably why saying that it's pretty even is a very safe bet <laughs> to say at least. 
I don't know. I mean, going by how many times we have been wrong about how a game will probably go uh, most prominently. Maybe the Rivier Derby. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there were crazy things in that match. I, I mean, I that's the craziness you can't even predict. But this one saying we don't know what's going to happen, I'd say we're we're covering our set, our bases pretty safely <laughs> at this point. Uh, just because we don't know. I mean, we're speculating that both teams could either come out with a fighting mentality or both, or one of them could come out with a it's all over mentality. Um, I, that's that's going to... Either way, it could be an incredibly entertaining match. Yeah, but I won't even try to predict entertaining games because every time I do that, uh, it tends to turn out very boring or so. I don't know. Um, so I'm just going to... I mean, I... I I said that the Bayern game would be a very entertaining game and that turned out to not be entertaining at all because uh, for an entertaining match there uh, are two very good teams required but we only saw one on that day so um won't even go there um Lars do you think that Max Kruse would be a good fit for Borussia Dortmund he I think would be a free agent after this season Yeah, he would. I mean, uh, he's already worked under Favre, uh, worked really well under him at Borussia Mönchengladbach, uh, even though, uh, I, I don't know if it's ever been really confirmed, but pretty much everybody around those two clubs, uh, uh, Gladbach and Wolfsburg being those two clubs, uh, thinks or has said publicly, somewhat publicly, I guess, that Kruse kind of left Gladbach because of Favre and, and went to Wolfsburg. I mean, I would assume he also got a, a nice paycheck raise, so uh, that might factor into <laughs> the discussion. But the, I mean, I mean, if you leave all your poker chips in the car, then uh, <laughs> yeah, and he has all that all that Nutella to to buy, so he needs uh, uh, high wages. So now, I mean, uh, in terms of his his profile, he's the kind of At least sending dick pics is free, apparently. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, in terms of his profile. Wow, yeah, that was I'm, a I'm just Dang. going to completely uh, ignore whatever the hell that was. Um, my, my poor Christian uh, ears. Um, no, I mean... Sure, Christian keep, ears. Keep, keep it in your pants, Cantona. Keep it in, in your pants, Cantona. In terms of his profile, talking about Max Kruse... <laughs> Uh, on episode 278 of the Yellow Wall Court. You are still listening to a normal football podcast. Yes. Don't worry. Uh, in terms of uh, his profile, he's a striker that fits what Lucien Favre likes to do and that is, you know, not not hoof any balls. Uh, oh, I said balls. Haha. Um, up top, you know, not, not needing a, a big body striker. Uh, rather uh, having someone with the technique uh, to thrust Dortmund's uh, attack forward in the deep end. I see. And he can also play in the hole, uh, by the way. <laughs> Alrighty then. Yeah, yeah. some might argue it's all about the distribution loss, um, but um, I think we'll uh, never get a grip on that subject again. So we, we might actually move on to yet another... Uh, transfer rumor mm, i don't know if it's rumor anymore but uh Torgen hazard uh said that he has uh come to terms with dortmund um publicly after um gladbach's I, i think they lost to stuttgart yeah they did um 
Matthias, was that a wise statement to make of Brun Larsen, who uh, of of, of what, uh, talking Hazard, of course. Uh, <laughs> 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 I don't even know where that came from. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, was that a wise statement to make of Torgen Hazard um, talking to the media and revealing that he has agreed on on terms with the Black and Yellow? No. No, no, absolutely not. I mean, talk about uh, misreading the audience. Uh, you've got Watzke and Zork. I mean, you've got Borussia Dortmund who will not talk about transfers until it's 100% done. Um, I, you know, I don't know where this could fall into legalities as far as dealing with players still in, under contract. Um, I think he has not done himself any favors Uh, he's a very good player. Um, I I tend to agree with, and I think it was uh, last. I think it was you at some point who tweeted when a comparison with Brandt and Azad, and um, as far as age and injury proneness and showing it over time. Uh, if if I were uh, Tsok or Vatska, this would be kind of a possible moment where I go. I don't know if you really fit in here because that was a, a situation of putting himself ahead of everything else. Um, I, I was not a big fan of this. Uh, at this point, I would be more than okay if talking Azad does not play for Borussia Dortmund because it just, it was poorly conceived. It was a little bit selfish. Yes, everybody's entitled to a mistake, but he's not 18 years old. Let's put that out there. I mean, he's closer to 30 than 20 at this point. Uh, so it's just, I didn't like it at all. It, it, uh, it, it left a very bad taste in my mouth, and I can't even imagine what uh, taste it left in Tsuak and Vatska's mouths in this, in this instance. Yeah, uh, just real quick. Uh, I, I want to maybe make the point that I don't think anybody uh, really was able to see the entirety of that interview because that was on Dutch television and everybody read the quotes, but I think... Uh, this might be a situation where not having any kind of context might actually uh, not work in Azar's favor because we don't know what exactly he was asked about. Uh, we don't know exactly if or whether whether his his words were given out correctly 100. So I mean I think we're we are laying a bit too much into uh, basically secondhand sources. So. I mean, yeah, to, fair, to, fair to, 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 I mean, I understand that you don't really equate him to, uh, Aubameyang and Dembele, uh, Matthias, but I think it's, it's too far fetched from our point of view to make any kind of comparison in that regard. And, and, and one, one yeah, last no, thing. I'm just saying, yeah, yeah, the, I mean, the bad I, I taste. Understand that and that's, that's fair enough. And I, I, I said it was kind of stupid of him, but. One last point to make uh, about the legalities of it. I mean, usually you can't talk to a player until he's uh, six months away from being a free agent in Germany, at least. I think it's different uh, in the UK, for example. But uh, as long as the other club gives you permission to do it, you can talk to every uh, any player at any given time. And I think we can safely assume that Gladbach gave Dortmund that kind of permission, so... I don't think they are in, in any, you know, hot water in, in terms of that. All right. So, um, Lars, uh, what do you make actually of, of the deal? 
Um, because if if it happens, and if I look at Hazard's form in the first half of the season, I would say, yep, great, get me that player. Uh, but if I look at the last four or five months or so, I would say, eh, for I think he's 26 years now, um, maybe I would expect a little bit more consistency on on a, a higher level than he is showing at, at Gladbach these days. Um, obviously, uh, Gladbach right now a bit of a shit show themselves, right? Uh, but uh, s- still, um, if if you uh, look at this transfer and that the fact that Dortmund are likely to shell out like forty million or so for him, um, do you think that uh, he is the one that needs to be signed, or do you think there are other and better players out there that Dortmund can actually purchase? I mean, I don't really know. Uh who would be willing to move to Dortmund. Uh, that's something that we kind of forget about all the time when when dreaming about signings. I mean, it's not only about can they afford the player, it's also does he even want to be here. Uh, I think Azar would have had the opportunities to move uh, abroad, but he's choosing to stay in Germany, which I, I think says something about him. As a person, I mean, he wants to stay relatively close to his home. I mean, he and and Axel Witzel, uh, two Belgian players uh, who can easily on a day off just uh, make a short drive and be home with uh, their their loved ones. I think that's something that we underrate as as you know uh, onlookers from the outside. It, I mean, since Mats Hummels uh, going to Munich, no one should be surprised anymore because uh, being close to his family was the main reason why he went south. And he and south he went. I mean, um, uh, <laughs> in terms of the actual player, I'm not too hot on uh, Azar. Generally speaking, I don't think he's the kind of player I want uh, on the the wing for Dortmund. He's in in my opinion, his best position is probably what Royce plays for Dortmund. You know, a number ten, but on the front foot, sort of closer to a secondary striker, perhaps uh, if that position still exists in modern football. Uh, so with Royce already being there, I don't. I think there's a, a very realistic scenario where next season Torga Azar is not among the the eleven players I would choose in a best case scenario for Dortmund's you know starting 11 in a big game and I mean chances are that that uh, you have a front four of of Royce Götze Sancho and and Guerrero still available next yeah. season so uh, but, where would Hazard fit yeah, in Yeah that that's kind of the point I'm I'm trying to make I mean if 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 those four and Alcázar as you know the fifth guy super sub uh, whatever you want to call it if if that stays intact I don't see necessarily the value of signing uh, Torgan Azar for however 35 to 40 million or whatever it's going to end up being when clearly there are uh, trouble spots at both fullback spots and to me also in central midfield uh, so that's where I would put the money uh, but just generally speaking one last point in terms of transfer fees I think it's uh, I think we as as fans of the game have to kind of forget about transfer fees these days because if you want the player and you can afford him does it really matter whether you pay 20 million or 35 for him I mean 
Dortmund paid uh, 8 million for Jaden Sancho. It would have been a great deal had they paid 30 million for him. So, I, I mean, once the player is in your system, you kind of have to forget about the, the transfer fee, in my opinion. I think that's a lesson that, that I personally had to learn over the years. And I think it's something that, that makes sense for other people as well. No, that's true. But you still have limited funds available. So you need to prioritize, as you just said. Um also, um, Matthias, do you think it would be a better case, uh, or fr from your perspective, uh, if Dortmund go for Julian Brandt instead of uh, Hazard? Yes, a hundred percent, without a doubt. Um, I think if you go into age, um, injuries. And being consistently good, you know, I mean, the one thing we can't forget about is, um, you know, Gladbach are dip, are, have a massive dip in form. And a lot of that has to do with also the fact that Azad has a massive dip in form, uh, right at the time we don't have a massive dip in form. So, Hey, the match made in heaven. Um, no, the, the, uh, It, to me, I'd rather see uh, Julian Brandt just because I think there's a greater upside long term. Uh, also, when you look at development of a player, sellability, uh, clicking with some other teammates, um, I just to me, it would make more sense personally. Lars, what's your opinion on that subject? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's this is necessarily an either or situation because as i said i think azar is best suited as a secondary striker or maybe moving in from the left wing and uh brand to me is basically uh an attacking minded central midfielder and that's also the position he's playing very successfully under peter bosch at leverkusen so I don't think it's it would necessarily be mutually exclusive. Uh, if Dortmund sign Azar, they could still sign Brandt. The the problem for me is that uh, Dortmund would represent a relatively small stepping stone for Brandt in terms of his overall career because, quite frankly, he's destined to much greater things than playing for Borussia Dortmund, as painful as that might sound to some people. Uh, so I don't see why after staying at Leverkusen for longer than I and perhaps most people would have predicted. I don't see why he would move to Dortmund for maybe a couple of years and then go uh, to the absolute top. So I think he's ready now to play, maybe not for Barcelona, but, you know, that, that next tier of clubs. So, and also, and, and also <laughs> I'm not really sure that the, the rumored 25 million release clause is actually true because typically, uh, A release clause that is under market value can only be triggered uh, so long uh, and you know it's already May so if if Leverkusen were dumb enough to include a release clause for 25 million for Julian Brandt who's probably worth at least double that uh, they will not be dumb enough to have that triggerable if that's a word uh, beyond I don't know April 1st or so so I think both in terms of the actual opportunity and his willingness this is not something I can see is overly realistic all right then there's one more name I wanted to ask you both about uh, you first Lars uh, uh, Kirim Demirbay as uh, central midfielder yeah from uh, it's actually if you remember the last time we talked about transfers I mean you and I Uh, on the show, he's the, the guy I brought up after some deliberation as for the, you know, vacant Gundogan role that Dahoud hasn't sufficiently filled. So 
Uh, I would be thrilled with him coming back. He obviously played for a Dortmund second team. He's a bit of a late bloomer in, in football terms, but uh, again, I don't know if, if he actually has a release clause and if he doesn't, I don't see Dortmund spending that much in central midfield. So it seems to me like he would be uh, moving to England. That that seems the more realistic option to me. Matthias, any additional thoughts? Um, no, I agree with Lars. Um, also that he would be what we all hoped Dahoud would have been. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, if it's, if it's down to the dollars and cents of it all, uh, I, I would say England's the more likely destination, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, we, we can still spend also a whole nother episode about all the players that don't want, uh, yet to get rid of basically and, and how they're going to facilitate all, all these transfers. But, uh, I think this is a good time to end the show. Um, last, Before we go, um, I think we should, uh, well, I, I personally will reestablish predictions, definitely, even though I think I, I've did it already last, uh, before the last game. Uh, but what's your prediction for the Bremen match? Uh, I didn't think this was going to be back in terms of a segment on the show. So, uh, I'm on the spot, uh, throwing, throwing <laughs> a dart real quick. Oh, it says 2-2. All right. Yeah. I That's that's why I landed too. <laughs> so, uh, Matthias, the um, the the eternal, the optimist, eternal optimist will yes, I will go for a one all. <laughs> What? <laughs> that's not how optimism works. But it is after last weekend. <laughs> hey, one all is all you know need because we've got Thomas Dahl on our side, right? He did so well for us in the past, right? All right, right. While, while uh, Matthias will uh, now be uh, brought back to his asylum cell, <laughs> um, it's really time to end. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Stefan Butzko. Lars, where can people find you? At Lars Polman. Very well. And Matthias? <laughs> uh, totally weird. At Matthias Huck. Yeah, uh, that's uh, all from the creative bunch that use their names as Twitter handles. Um, You can uh, listen to us again next week after Dortmund drew against Werder Bremen, I assume. So uh, once again, everyone out there uh, who actually thought this was a good idea listening to this uh, post-derby episode, uh, thanks especially this time for, for listening. And uh, yeah, this is all for now. You know where you can find us and subscribe to the show. I'm not going to go through it this time because I don't want to and I need to go to the toilet. So goodbye.